1: Dave and Brian Big news for our little podcast Beyond the Pond is proud to be part of the Osiris Podcasting Network Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting music fans like you with conversation, commentary and of course, lots of music
0: Check out OsirisPod.com for more great podcasts like God Ween Evan, Fear of a Craft Planet, The Tour with Ted Canova, and many more You'll hear much more about Osiris and our sister podcast in the coming weeks. But first, let's go beyond the pond.
1: Hey folks, I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. And I'm Kathleen Hinkle. you are tuned in to episode 31 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which Brian and myself and this evening Kathleen try to use the music of Fish as a Trojan horse of source to get the listener to listen to other non-jam bands. Because we love Fish, we are Fish fans But the problem with fish fans is sometimes all they do is listen to fish. They don't really pay attention to what's going on in the world. They could be the Secretary of State. And then the next second, they're getting fired and thrown out the door, all because all they listen to is fish. And that's pathetic.
0: Really, really pathetic. Um, We are here to, like Dave said, utilize fish as a Trojan horse to introduce you to new music. And tonight we've got a really cool episode. Uh, we are going to be focusing on probably our collective favorite track from the Talking Heads remaining light set Fish played on October 31st, 1996. The song in question, The Great Curve. And we are going to be talking about themes based off of The Great Curve, as well as uh, Curve Ball, the upcoming festival for Fish. And then we've got a ton of really excellent music lined up for you guys that we've been uh working out here over the last couple of weeks
1: and some of the themes that we're going to explore in this episode include lyrical focus the groove and when underrated becomes underrated and on that note let's get to the fish
0: Talking today about the Great Curve from the 1031 1996 Halloween set, where Fish focused on uh, the Talking Heads' Remain in Light album. So, why are we talking about this uh,
1: jam, Dave? Well, let's see. There's a lot of reasons we could be talking about this jam. One of the first thing that comes to mind is Curveball, the Watkins Glen Festival. Maybe That's the awesome. Curveball. Yeah, curveball. This could be the best chance the band is visiting the great curve. Hopefully, that's talking about it doesn't jinx it. But uh, certainly, if Fish doesn't open uh, the Saturday second set or third set with the great curve, the fest is a complete disappointment, and it should have never happen. So
0: we can just say that Magna ball, Magna ball was better. Is all we can say if that bad
2: If Fish is listening, I think you know with all this healthy dialogue going on about women's rights and all these healthy discussions that are happening at this time. I feel like the fish fan base is ready to hear the band scream. The world moves on a woman's hips again. Mm, So fish, if you're listening, we're, we're ready for you to scream that.
0: I think absolutely. I think, um, you know, Tina way mouse, lines at a fish show with the uh, ferris wheel going behind it with glow sticks going and with a you know 19 to 26 minute jam off of it that is really what we're all craving right now at a fish show and that's what uh, i feel like that's just the purpose of curveball
2: yeah (laughs) well i'd even say if fish was listening i mean feel free to open set to on Saturday with Cross-Eyed and go into The Great Curve if that's comfortable and go back into Cross-Eyed or however you want to do it is fine.
1: One of the reasons we got to thinking about that song is that considering the dialogue that's been going on there's kind of there's a pretty small representation of women in Fish's music certainly uh, there's Alison Krauss singing on uh, the studio version of If I Could there's um certainly Jen Hartswick and Natalie Cressman in the Tab Horns. Sharon Jones was an exile on Main Street. Um, I guess you could say Fishman singing the Great in the side parts, but, you know, there's certainly an appreciation of women throughout their music, but, I mean, there's not all that much in there, I guess you could say.
2: There, yeah, there's there's not too much. Like, I could have... I, I'm not complaining about the Bakers doesn't at all, but it would have been cool To have a few more covers mixed in there that were of female acts, just because I use fish to get exposed to so much more music. You know, know,
0: like it's telling that, uh, like Mike's cover of, um, uh, The Way It Goes by Gillian Welsh, uh, was really true to the song, but also had like the fish edge to it. I feel like. That song, you know, is like a testament that the band could cover, you know, more female artists and really, you know, do an excellent job with it.
2: Yeah, I, I think it would be really cool. I'm definitely not complaining about fish. They can do whatever they want to do, but it it would just blow my mind if they they started amping it up on just steering us towards more female artists.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I would say. In addition, um, I don't know how exactly how you guys feel about this, but I personally think that this jam was the, the highlight of the Romanian light set. Um, and, and to hammer it home, I think it's criminal that the band hasn't played this song again. I was reading about it uh, on um, Fish.net before we went to record, and I was looking at the lyrics because you know we kind of were talking a little bit more about what the Great Curve is, what the meaning of this song is. Um, as we're preparing for this episode. And there's a ton of lyrics on on this song and the lyrics just interweave within each other. I feel like this had to be one of the hardest songs for the band to learn how to play for Remain in Light. And it kind of speaks really well to like the overall tension um, and release that they were going to in terms of trying to play this very simple rhythmic music that um, allowed them to just communicate on a really simplistic level. But then to have a song like this that's so polyrhythmic, that has so many lyrics that, like, one person's singing while another person's singing right under them, but then that lyric ends a little bit later. It's just, it's so complex, and um, I wonder if that has something to do with why the band hasn't played it since then. But every time I hear this song, the groove that comes out of it, I just think that the band can destroy it nowadays.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly... The remaining lights Light set, I think we'll get to this a bit in the next section, where that kind of proved that they could hold down a groove like this. I mean, they had like an extra percussionist that they were playing with. But sir, um, up until this set, it was questionable as to whether fish could really groove and really get funky. And then as we found out from the shows after the Halloween show, in all 1997, they were really more than capable of uh, you know holding down something such as this.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, So, what do you guys think that the great curve is?
1: It's the curve on a woman's hips.
2: (laughs) That's always my interpretation. Like, it has these lines, like, the world moves on a woman's hips, you know, and, you know, there's all these lines, like, about this, that I picture this woman like holding the world and turning the world and, you know, a world of light. She's gonna open our eyes up. And I think it all ties back to, you know, women and the great curve of a woman's hip. But it could be like the, I read somewhere that the whole Romanian Light album was. Was pointing at something a little more supernatural than that, but I I like to think of it as the curve in a woman's hips and this like, you know, this power that women hold and this importance that women hold in relation to earth and life and all these things.
0: Yeah, I think he's talking about like a supernatural, like godlike being being a woman. Um, just reading these lyrics, it's like all about kind of. Creation and it's all about um, like these larger questions in the world, and it all coming down to it just residing on a woman's hips, where you know we're all born essentially in that in that in that setting. Um, and you know, I think it's Byrne kind of coming the closest he's ever come to like defining some like larger being and some larger force in the world.
2: Yeah, in- interesting. Yeah, I just. I don't know, but I but I see it that way, and it could it, it could have nothing to do with a woman's hips, I guess. But I love that interpretation.
1: Just briefly get into uh, the significance of the show and the run. I know certainly Halloween costumes have got to be some of the most famous of the curveballs that Fish has thrown at us, and I think that the. Remaining light set is among the most popular of curveballs and probably the best. And really, there isn't much precedent for this cover set working quite as well as it did. I mean, you had like the White Album, you had Quadrophenia; those are basic rock and roll records. That's very much in the fish wheelhouse. But in 1996, nobody really thought this band was capable of pulling off like a Brian, you know, produced art rock album with such an emphasis on deep grooves. Totally.
0: Yeah, I feel like to that point, um, you know, the first two records were kind of them looking back and celebrating their own influences, but this is really about projecting themselves into the future and kind of works in the same way that um, you know the wingsuit set did for uh, three where suddenly the band is saying, okay, okay, we've played these albums to like honor our past and where we came from, let's step into something a little bit more unknown, like a little bit more of an unknown territory to see what we can use this music for going forward.
1: Right. I mean, they supplemented the live setup with a percussion player to catch some of uh, the Fela Cootie inspired riffage, but once they established they could play like this, the sky was the limit. I mean, and Remain in the Light was arguably the catalyst behind the, frankly, incredible run of post-Remain in the Light fall shows yes. in the whole of 1997. And uh if we can toot a horn a bit here You may have heard one Tom Marshall On our podcast expressing His and Trey's adoration Of uh, Brian Eno And early King Crimson Which uh, had Agent Blue on guitar And Agent Blue Was part of uh, He was an auxiliary guitarist On the, the Made in the Light tour And those songs really sound a lot Like the songs on uh, the King Crimson album Discipline and vice versa So um with that in mind, the Fish interest in New Wave era Talking Heads actually kind of makes a bunch of sense. I mean, really, Adrian Blue on uh, the King Crimson Discipline album is kind of, I wouldn't say he's doing a David Byrne impersonation, but listening to those two albums back-to-back, you can see they're really quite similar.
2: So I feel like a lot of Fish heads are also big Talking Heads fans, but what, what came first for you guys. Fish covering Talking Heads and turning you on to Talking Heads or Talking Heads came first and then Fish played them.
1: Well for me like I was already a fan of the Talking Heads just by virtue of growing up in the eighties. And I knew that they were good and I was, you know, pretty familiar with like Little Creatures album and um speaking in tongues. But certainly hearing Remain in the light wanted me to go back and listen to them more. So I definitely it elevated whatever Talking Heads fandom was already there. I am
0: um, a big proponent of being honest, so I'm going to be honest here. Uh, my dad gave me Remaining Light when I was like 10 years old, and I thought it was really weird, and I thought it <laughs> looked really goofy. <laughs> and I didn't. Dude, Jim
1: Brinkman is like, he's badass.
0: He really is, man. He did everything that he could uh, at a young age, and I still listen to Blink-182. Um, no, I, I I was like, what is this dad? And he was like, no, this is really good stuff. This is like the formation of punk rock. And these guys are like, you know, really great, you know, blah, 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 just going on and on and on. Um, and I just didn't, it didn't connect. And then, uh, the Live Fish series came out and they did the whole Halloween, the four Halloween albums. And I think like October of 2002, And this was the one I was least excited to own. Um, Again, oddly enough, I didn't really care for 96 Fish at the time. And um, uh, I was not very interested in the Talking Heads. And a friend of mine bought it. And I remember we listened to the set. We listened to the whole show. We were going through all of our Live Fish series. We listened to it. And I was just completely transfixed. Like from the moment Born Under Punches started. And I was like... Oh my god this is 1997 fish and this was still my new days i didn't know anything about why they played this record and what it led to and that led me down a complete talking heads rabbit hole and led me into a massive talking heads fandom um, that uh, continues to this day so it was definitely fish they led me beyond the pond
2: good job. I I feel like that's why I like your guys' podcast is that Fish often leads people beyond the pond to like redo rediscover a band they already kind of knew but be like, "Hey, I'm going to look at that again because that was really awesome when Fish covered it." So it's probably great when I go hear the original album too, you know. That's the hope, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope we're doing that. <laughs> um,
0: of note, really quick, uh, this was the first instance the Fishbill was used uh, to inform the audience of their Halloween set, which I think is pretty cool. Um, for both Quadravenia and the White Album, there were teases going into the second set as to what they were going to play. Um, I think Dark Side of the Moon and I think Beat It were uh, or uh, um, Thriller were the two albums that were teased for those years this is the first time you walked into the show you received a fish bell that said we're going to play this album which you know definitely at that point this is three years in a row that they've done halloween shows probably added a completely new dimension to the show and um really changed it for uh for the years going forward
1: i think at this point we really gotta listen to some of this i am I'm dying to hear this jam cuz I know it's been a while since I put it on. I have listened to the version from the live album the name of this band is Talking Heads, which I would highly recommend everybody seek out. Also, if you want to go to YouTube, look at the uh, Talking Heads documentary Live in Rome that has some uh, incredible version, uh, it's incredible songs on this tour.
2: And amazing footage.
1: Yes, amazing footage of Adrian Ballou trying to upstage David Byrne in every way possible. And let's listen to some of it right now.
0: That uh, snippet of the jam from The Great Curve from, the, uh, from Fish's Halloween set in 1996, 103196, 96 where they covered uh, Remaining Light by The Talking Heads. Um, so jumping off of this, uh, you know, the repetitive line in uh, that song is, the world moves on a woman's hips. And as we were kind of saying above, we'd love to hear Fish scream that out at Watkins Glen this upcoming summer. We wanted to kind of take that and run with it and we wanted to feature a uh, episode filled with female artists um, and uh, so we've got some really great artists here that we all really love and we think that you guys will all really enjoy as well um, and essentially you know we've broken this down into three uh, sections so the first section that we're going to focus on is all about lyrics um, and so these are all artists that for all of us we really really go to for a lyrical standpoint the first artist that we're going to focus on is one of my favorite artists one who uh made probably one of my favorite records of the last decade uh joanna newsome uh and the song we're going to use is in california off the album have one on me Um, this song is uh one of the most accessible songs off of her excellent and really excessive 2010 triple lp have one on me um you know, and for as long as it is, it's almost two hours long. Um, it's really sequenced perfectly and rarely feels overly long. I listened to this record the other night, and uh, as I was listening to it, it just like each disc passes through really, really well. It's very, it flows in a really thematic way. It's really just an excellent listen from start to finish. Um, so if you're not familiar with Joanna Newsom, she's a harpist by trade. She was raised in Northern California by two very progressive doctors who wouldn't let her watch TV as a kid and exposed her to music, music from a very young age. Um, at age five, she requested to take harp lessons, but the local teacher uh, in her community refused to teach someone that young. So she learned piano before transitioning to harp a few years later. Um, her first big break came from when, a, when one of her uh, early EPs was passed to Will Oldham, otherwise known as Bonnie Prince Billy. She went on a dark tour with him, Devander Banhart, and Smog, uh, whose frontman Bill Callahan is one of our favorites here at Beyond the Pond. Um, of note as well, Joanna Newsom has appeared in a number of films. Most recently she was in um, uh, the Paul Thomas Anderson film from 2014, uh, why am I blanking on the title of this movie? Somebody help me here.
1: Inherent Vice. Thank She's you. She's narrator. Thank you. Inherent Vice. Good she, job.
0: She was the narrator in that, um, and uh, she was really excellent throughout the film. Um, so this record, Have One On Me, this was recorded in Tokyo in 2009 and was mixed by Jim O'Rourke, who is the uh, engineer and producer of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, uh, one of Beyond the Pond's favorite records. Uh, this album, Have One On Me We like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot? Really? Yes, if you haven't heard Yankee we like Hotel Foxtrot like that album? Foxtrot, Go please. listen
2: to it right now Thank
0: you, pause the podcast <laughs> Just Stop whatever it is that you're doing Listen to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot How many times do we have to say it?
1: I was uh, not aware that we liked that album really.
0: <laughs> 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 um, So this record, Have One On Me is really notable for the fact that it's filled with very pastoral lyrics uh, uh, very, very orchestral arrangements Um, It's not very approachable in an easy sense. I know that I've introduced this to a number of friends who have been turned off uh, from it uh, initially, but then after listening to it a number of times, really grew on them. Um, But it's really quite enthralling, and the avenues that you can explore in this record from a musical, from a lyrical standpoint... It's really easy just to get lost in this record, and repeated listens are so, so rewarding. I mean, it's up there with some of the best songwriting albums I've ever listened to in the sense that um, it doesn't matter when I hear it. I'm consistently hearing lyrics in a new way. I'm consistently hearing little kind of musical oddities in a new way, and that's kind of what I'm always looking for when I listen to a record on repeated listens. Um, One thing of note, Joanna Newsom's voice was actually injured during the recording of this album, and she had to completely change her singing style. So she sounds quite different on this record than she did in her two previous records. Um, but really affecting in a lot of ways as well. Um, I said kind of at the start of this, um, and I and I would definitely I would definitely note it again. This is one of my top twenty albums of this decade. Um, it's a de- it's an album I listen to on repeat constantly. It so specifically, reminds me of my first winter when I was living in Korea, and it was one of the first records I reviewed for uh, my, my first music blog, The Suffering Jukebox, and it really challenged me as a listener in ways that uh, few other records uh, ever really have. Um, the rewards of breaking through and getting this record are kind of up there with that moment that you break through and get Infinite Jest, the book, and uh, it really sticks with you uh, after after hearing it.
2: I'd, I'd agree. I think it's an amazing record. But I would also add um, that Joanna Newsom also cites Ravel as one of her influence, who you featured on a previous episode as one of Trey's influences in the NASA Tweezer episode. Right, and totally. another
3: right.
2: fun fact about this exact track is in this song, she sings this one line, um, like a little clock that trembles on the edge of the hour, only ever calling out cuckoo cuckoo. I'm not even gonna try and do it and join a new voice. But so she says that and she's actually cuckooing at the exact one hour mark of the album. So if you're somebody who likes little <laughs> like fun facts like that. I it's never noticed just, that.
0: That's uh, cool. that's amazing. That's that's something I could totally see her trying to perfect and, and work through uh, as she's recording the
1: record. That's, that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, just timing the whole record out to like have that land right on the one-hour
1: mark. <laughs> she's a fantastic artist. I want to apologize in advance for not having the Spotify song available because she's on Drag City. Drag City isn't like Spotify. Get with the program, Drag City.
0: Yeah, we'll try to <laughs> upload like um, a YouTube link uh, or something. We'll find some way for you guys to hear this song, um, and and we'll try to find some way for you to hear as much Joanna Newsom as possible. Because um, I definitely because she's awesome. From, yeah, yeah, I definitely know from based on. What our fans um, like based on what we recommend. You guys would definitely like this if you haven't heard her. So let's go ahead and listen to a little bit of In California off of Joanna Newsome's 2010 LP, Have One on me But there is another
4: who is all a little. the order You cannot come and see me For I set myself a-
1: This is about, about Joanna Newsom, who uh, I agree is an incredible artist who was long overdue for a new record also. Um, so the artist I'm going to talk about is a woman named uh, Sharon Van Etten, and the song is Your Love Is Killing Me. She's a singer-songwriter and originally from New Jersey. She currently resides in Brooklyn, New York. And this is the third track and the first single from our... Her fourth full-length album, 2014's Are We There? And she has described the writing of Your Love is Killing Me as a form of therapy and quote about unhealthy love. It's trying to visualize looking for somebody even if it's emotionally battered and you're waiting for that person who hasn't gone through that, who hasn't loved someone so much and knew it was wrong. And the chorus to this song actually goes, Break my legs so I won't walk to you, Cut my tongue so I can't talk to you, Burn my skin so I can't feel you, Stab your eyes, my eyes so I can't see, You like it I let you walk over me. It's it's heavy as hell. and delivered over the course of a six-minute torch song with some soaring vocals and some church organ. And the first time I heard this song, frankly, I was stopped in my tracks. I was frozen. I couldn't do anything until it was over. And then I listened to it again. And she's always been very heavy into the use of harmonies, which can be attributed to uh, part of her being part of a choir group growing up. Um, I'd say her sound is elegant without being mawkish. And I know that she was uh, friends with and championed um, by the National, the band, early on. And uh, their guitarist, Aaron Dessner, he produced uh, her third album, which was 2012's was Tramp, which is kind of seen as uh, her breakthrough of sorts. She's a very well-rounded, uh, extremely talented singer-songwriter with a sonorous voice and uh, extremely good lyrics. And I think she's also she's done some acting. She was in the Netflix series The O.A., Um, in what capacity, I forget. She
2: was one of the, I didn't realize it was her, and then somebody pointed it out, and I was like, oh, my God. But she was one of, um, I don't want to spoil too much, but she was one of, like, the hostages in the basement, and she sings one of her own songs in a scene in the show. And she was, like, taking a break from music at the time, and they came to her with this opportunity, and she went on it.
1: So, I think me and my wife watched the first episode of that. And we thought, Okay, this is all right. We'll just watch Black Mirror instead.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of like a ten episode Black Mirror episode. It was pretty good, if a little discomforting, you know. Mm. There, there's hostages and stuff. It's it's not totally light. Okay. It's heavy not as hell. As would say. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so on that note Let's play some of Your Love is Killing Me by Sharon Van Etten off of the album Are We There?
3: It's understood
2: Singer songwriter. She's from Nova Scotia. Um, and she follows in the footsteps of many great Canadian singer songwriters. Think Joni Mitchell, Leonard Cohen, Neil Young, Katie Lang, Gord Downey of The Tragically Hip. Um, and she's not too well known. She's not very well known at all. But I think her albums and her songwriting is fantastic. And I love this song. Um, so Pepion calls this her feminist anthem. Um, And she calls this album like a feminist album that she did. She did it after coming out of a hard time. But I just can't get enough of the first lyrics to the song are tell me a story that nobody knows, a fable of honor when danger unfolds with a woman who comes to the rescue. And that just that line just speaks to me in terms of like, yes, tell me more stories about women about women in music and books and you know it makes me think about this week for international women's day how the new york times was like we're gonna start publishing the obituaries of women we overlooked and stuff like that so i just i love the lead up into that line and i love her voice and i think it's a great line in music and i think um her writing is just outstanding. Uh, this is off a 2017 album called Keep the Fire. And apparently she went through a pretty dark time, and it's a pretty heavy album, but the songs do have a little bit of a triumphant feel. Um, the album was tentatively gonna be called What to K- Keep in terms of what do you decide to keep when you're going through a hard time and you're making these decisions about, okay, how do I fix my life and what do I keep and what do I give away? And her theory was, well, you keep the fire. You keep that fire in you to go get done whatever you need to get done. And the entire album is pretty excellent. Um, it starts with an instrumental song called Overture for the Firekeeper um deep in the earth is a great track and that through the song keep the fire i find especially strong um her previous albums are also really good she's been putting out albums for over 15 years another album is called the tempest of old has a song called with our trouble um and that's the original song that got me into her work and I'd love for you all to check it out. Tell me a story that nobody knows.
0: Thank you so much for uh, that selection there, Kathleen. So moving right along to our second segment. So what would the Great Curve be if there wasn't such a phenomenal groove that was underneath that song? If there wasn't such a you know, rocking building jam that came off of that? Really, again, one of the highlights of Fish's uh, uh, 1996 fall tour and um, such a great moment in that set. So we wanted to focus on that. Uh, what are some of our favorite songs that just groove and absolutely rock from um, uh, female artists? So I went ahead and I selected uh, a song by a band led by one of my favorite female songwriters called Hooray for the Riff Raff. And the song that I've selected here is Hungry Ghosts off of the band's last record, 2017's The Navigator. So this is an Americana folk rock based band uh, that's based out of the Bronx, um, and they're led by the enigmatic uh, Alinda Lee Segarra, um, who is the lead singer, songwriter. She was raised by her aunt in Nevada and was turned on to doo-wop and Motown at a young age, and you can really hear that influence throughout uh, a lot of their a lot of her songwriting and throughout a lot of the "Hooray for the Refract" albums. Um, as a teenager, she became obsessed with local punk shows, and then she left home at 17 and crisscrossed the country via freight trains. Something that uh, is absolutely badass. Um, this band, Hooray for the Riff Raff, formed in 2008, and they released this excellent, uh, their sixth LP, The Navigator, last March, I believe it was, 2017. Um, this album was featured in the new album recommendation seg- segment of episode 7 of Beyond the Pond, where we focused on the Jones Beach Bowie, and this was one of my ones that got away for 2017. This was one of my favorite records uh, of 2017 that just didn't make my, my uh, top 10. Um, prior to recording this album, Sagara traveled to her homeland in Puerto Rico uh, to gain some inspiration to write, and uh, this resulted in a concept uh, record based off the themes that surfaced, surfaced around her nation's debt crisis, as well as the growing gentrification throughout the Bronx. Um, and uh, you, know, you can imagine in the, in the months since then, she's done quite a bit of charity, uh, charity concerts um, for everything that's been happening in Puerto Rico since the hurricane in the fall. Um, the Navigator, the album, was written in Nashville. And it was recorded at Electric Ladyland Studios in New York City, and it's really just one of the most thematically complete albums of 2017. It, uh, you know, it's a concept record, but it's ultimately, um, you know, it doesn't feel like it's weighted down by the overall subject. And this song, "Hungry Ghost," is uh, just a real prodding, uh, throbbing, grooving rock song. That comes uh, early in the album that absolutely sets up uh, the rest of the record in a really great way. So um, I hope that you guys enjoy this song, Hungry Ghost, off of Hooray for the Riff Raff's The Navigator. Mm-hmm.
1: an artist. So I'm going to talk about a song from one of my favorite female artists, Lydia Lovelace. The song is Really Want to See You. So Lydia Lovelace is a 27-year-old singer-songwriter from Columbus, Ohio. And I guess, sonically she kind of splits the difference between country and power pop. I mean, she can be equally tender and gloriously profane, switches up quite often over the course of a single record. And she also kind of, uh, her lyrics have a very sarcastic wit, and there's an ear for satire. On um, one of her earlier records, she has a song that's entitled Steve Earle. is isn't actually about the artist Steve Earle, but rather it's about her being uh, kind of harassed by a guy from Columbus, Ohio, who refers to himself as Columbus, Ohio's Steve Earle. So <laughs> that's going. Um Pretty fun. Really wanna Yeah, no, <laughs> the song is the song's hilarious. Anyway, Really Wanna See You is that's um, the opening track off of 2014 Records Somewhere Else, and it really fucking kicks the door in. It's got a Tom Petty blast of rock and roll. Lydia Lovelace in this song, she ends up at a party. She proceeds to do some cocaine and then call up her now married ex-boyfriend because, quote, the phone is right there, so I just thought I would call. And that's kind of some of the wit that we were talking about. The song's got a huge chorus. Her rhythm section sells the hell out of it. And if the Spotify stats would be believed, this was my single most streamed song of 2015, and I indeed streamed the hell out of it. And uh, on the record, that song is followed up by Wine Lips, which is a very catchy ode to infatuation. That kind of it really completes one of my favorite one-two punches in rock music on an album over the past several years. I mean, that whole album, Somewhere Else, it's very excellent. As the twenty sixteen follow up, Real, which kind of sends things in a bit more of a power pop direction. Although um, certainly Ramshackle, think like uh, the Replacements, and. Unfortunately, I've never seen her live because she's got a bad habit of playing New York City only when I'm out of town. But uh, she's a heck of a performer, heck of a songwriter, and this is really one of my single favorite rock songs of, uh, I would say, the past 10 years. I really, really enjoy it. So now we're going to listen to Really, Really Want to See You by Lydia Lovelace.
2: A cool band which is the blues um i'd like to share this kind of groovy track called save me uh, she's a blues musician bringing it back to the blues she's a bassist and vocalist and she's been singing the blues for over 20 years i first heard danielle nicole sing and i must have been 20 years old And she was fronting a blues jam in Kansas City, Missouri, with a band called the Swamp Donkeys that a good friend of mine was a harmonica player in. And she blew me away then. Um, And she's just been cutting her teeth ever since. She was in a band called Trampled Underfoot. Obviously a nod to Led Zeppelin with her brothers. They disbanded a few years ago. um, And ever since she's been doing her own thing. Um, If you can judge an artist by the company they keep, she keeps pretty good company. Uh, Her debut album, Wolf Den, was produced by Anders Osborne in 2015. Stanton Moore plays the drums on the album. Luther Dickinson from the North Mississippi All-Stars plays guitar on a couple tracks on the album. Save Me, the song I'm going to play, is the first single released off her second album, which was just released in February. It's called Cry No More. Um, It briefly hit number one on the Billboard charts Best Blues Album last week, I think. Um, This album was produced by Tony Bronigo. I apologize if I butchered your name, sir. Um, He's worked with Bonnie Raitt, Taj Mahal, Etta James, I get strong Bonnie Raitt, Susan Tedeschi vibes when I listen to Danielle Nicole. I like to put her on when I'm making breakfast and want to listen to some blues. Um, Kenny Wayne Shepard is a guitar you hear on this single. Mm. Um, she is the only bass player on any of her albums, but she brings in some big guitars. Um, Luther Dickinson plays on this album, again, from North Mississippi All-Stars. Her brother, Nick Schnebelin, also plays. He's a great guitar player. Uh, Walter Trout, Sonny Landreth are also on this album.
1: Sonny Landreth, I'll just chime in. He's the best slide guitar player, not named Derek Trucks. Yeah. incredible
2: it's a very tedeschi trucks vibe if you're into tedeschi trucks this girl should be on your radar too um and uh i just think this new album is really enjoyable um she branches out of the blues genre a little bit more than she did with her first album Hot Spell is a Bill Withers song that was never recorded. Bill Withers actually came into the studio while she was recording and handed her the song. Um, so she's got a lot of respect from a lot of big names. Um, she, there's a great song called Bobby, which is kind of an Americana song about her late father. She's kind of a jazz singer with the song Baby Eyes. And so she's showing a ton of range. Um, Her first album was called Wolf Den. If you check out that album, don't miss the track, take it all. It's this, like, heartfelt blues song about just take everything, including my heart if you leave me. It's really dramatic and perfect and bluesy. So anyway, if you like to kick it with the blues, I think this stuff grooves really well. Um, And I think the blues is... Uh, such a big part of the music we listen to, no matter what genre. It's the root, the roots of rock and roll. You can find in the blues, and so here's Daniel and Nicole. Band. So we're going to take a break from the thematic explorations um, tonight, and we're going to talk about some of our favorite albums by female artists and bands. And I'm going to go first with one of my favorite albums of all time. If you haven't listened to it, go do it right now. It's Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville um which came out in 1993 as NPR said this album was thick with tomboy swagger which was perfect for me a 13 year old tomboy in the early 90s um this is Liz Fairs' breakthrough album she's an artist from the Chicago area and it has significant ties to one of Fish's, another one of Fish's Halloween costumes, the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street. So this album is a direct song-by-song response to Exile on Main Street. Mm. And how this album works is that there's 18 tracks on Exile on Main Street, and there's 18 tracks on Exile in Guyville. And each song... So, Exile on Main Street is this macho album, and each song on Liz Phair's album is a song from the woman's perspective. So, and if it was an upbeat song on Exile on Main Street, it's an upbeat song on Liz Phair's album. Um, for example... The opening song on Exile Main Street is Rocksaw. so Liz Vera imagined this guy going out for a one-night stand and walking down the street the next day and feeling all like he's a stud or whatever.
1: That's one of the greatest runs- Stone songs ever. I'm sorry. It's,
2: it is a great, I it's mean,
1: an incredible it's a, song.
2: It's a great Stones album. <laughs> and so Liz Verer's song, Six Foot One, the first song on Exile in Guyville, is a song written from the perspective of a girl who has a crush on the guy in Rocksp- Rock's Off that runs into him on the street after he's walking home from his one night stand. Um, So the songs on this album are just really brilliant. Liz fair had been recording these songs on cassette tapes, um, like tons of cassette tapes and the cassettes were called girly sounds And she simultaneously was like, how do I put these into an album? And she had moved into a house and this cassette of Exile Main Street was at the house. And somebody with her was like, that's a great album. And she listened to it nonstop and she decided to place the songs from Girly Sounds as this direct call and response to Exile Main Street. And it works really well. It's kind of this like, them rock response to this very like macho and awesome Rolling Stones album. Um, this album came out when I was 13. You know, I was a tomboy. I loved her indifference towards being a pers- participant in what she called Guyville. Uh, Guyville to her represented this mixture of the roles that men in her life played from friends to boyfriends, to teachers, just guys who were just telling her what she needed to know, what was cool and what wasn't cool. And I didn't like at that age, people telling me what to think either. Um, She was living in Chicago's Wicker park after college At the time when she wrote this, um, but she told NPR that Guyville goes way beyond that. She said, it goes way beyond Wicker Park. It goes back in time to high school. That same sense of being a girl and not being listened to and not being considered serious about music opinions if you didn't do your scholarly research. If you hadn't been buying vinyl since the seventh grade, then you weren't really in the game. I was like a diamond of pressurized anger at that point. By the time I did Guyville, I was pissed. So, <laughs> I love that quote. Um, and it is like, you know, like, don't don't tell me what I need to know. I know what I know. And so, um, I think it's part of the reason like, this is Liz Fair's far and away best album. I don't think the other albums really compare. And I think it Because she had all this pressurized anger and just like put it all into this call and response album. Um, Another quote about Liz Fair that I love is from a New Yorker article from 2013, because people are still writing about this album 25 years later. But it's uh, Fair was as lyrical as Joni Mitchell, but played as tough as Chrissy Hind. She was as smart as Courtney Love and as comfortable toying with sexual imagery as Madonna. And anyway, I just love this album. I think there's so many contradictions, like in the way it's like, screw gender, screw men, but at the same time, it's dating men, and seeing men, and all these things, and I think there's there's so many layers to think about. I want somebody to assign me a five- to seven-page paper so I can write about it, or something like that.
1: So, let's hear a song off the south. what do you want to play
2: oh well Stratford on Guy is the song that pairs with Shine a Light which we're Mm. used to hearing in the Fish universe or Mesmerizing is the song that pairs to Loving Cup which we're very used to hearing in the Fish universe so maybe one of those two
1: I'm going to make the call for Stratford on Guy because that was a single and it's an amazing song yeah,
5: it's a good one. I was flying into Chicago at night Watching the lake turn the sky into blue-green smoke The sun was set
1: Kathleen, for that synopsis of uh, Loose Fish*, Exile, and Guyville in that song. So, in terms of uh, my favorite albums by female artists, if you've listened to episodes of Beyond the Pond in the past, you'll pick up me uh, talking about Slater Kinney. And certainly, Slater Kinney, I think that uh, they're the single best rock and roll band in America. I know this is a fish podcast, but uh, in terms of just sheer rock and roll power, I would almost say that Slater kinney does it better. And the reason I look to is the album they put out in 2005 called The Woods. This is probably my favorite album in the past 20 years. It basically represents everything I enjoy about music being improvisation, psychedelia, punk energy, and thrilling rock and roll. Uh, you may think your album rocks harder than The Woods, you'd be wrong. So, at this point in slater Kenya's career, they're always a very dexterous punk rock band with uh, Corin Tucker, Carrie Brownstein, and Janet Weiss. Certainly, um, Carrie Brownstein had a very dexterous, interesting leads, and Corin Tucker kind of backed up the bottom end. Uh, but with this record, The Woods, it turned them into an interesting hybrid of uh, The Stooges and The Grateful Dead. So, it was like psychedelic fuzz rock with improvisation there's like uh, one song, I think it's like 10 minutes leads into the closing song of the album they were clearly trying to think outside the box and to that effect uh, they recorded it with um, the Mercury Rev slash Flaming lips, uh Flaming lips producer Dave Fridman in upstate New York so Janet Weiss, the drummer she hits the drums harder on this album than is humanly possible and what's kind of interesting is I first heard all the songs in the woods in sort of uh, like the wingsuit fashion, because when Fish was broken up, there needed to be some other bands to fill a Masters Square garden on New Year's Eve. So on New Year's Eve t- 2004, there was a three-band bill of Slater Kinney, The Flaming Lips, and a Wilco. I attended this with my then-girlfriend, now-wife, for whatever reason, we were staying next to Monica Lewinsky the entire show. Maybe she's a Wilco fan. I don't know.
2: I have so many <laughs> questions, but I'll leave them out of this.
1: Yeah, about, seriously.
2: About Monica Lewinsky at a concert. But
1: <laughs> I was going to ask her questions. I was going to say, hey, Monica, how you doing? Then I decided, no, I can't do that. That'd be really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so Slater Kidney opened that show. And aside from Carrie Brownstein's song, Modern Girl, which was not played, their set was simply the woods in its entirety. And this was eight months before it came out. No one had heard these songs before. They didn't play any of their hits, I mean, relatively speaking. They just didn't care. I mean, I quote-unquote taped the song on like a handheld tape recorder that I think I had like in a jacket pocket it didn't sound very good. It captured the energy of the room. I listened to it a ton. And I will say about that show, that Wilco, they played too many covers. The Flaming Lips set was mostly pre-recorded and kind of annoying as hell. But that was uh, Slater Kitty, the Wood set. And we think we were in for a very unique treat when it came out. And I want to say August of 2005. This album was such that it actually, the power kind of had the effect of breaking them up. And they announced that they were doing their final tour in uh, 2006 and going on hiatus, which they did. And then they came back in uh, January, 2015 with their album, No Cities to Love, which is a fantastic record. Slater Kidney being one of the few bands where people actually uh, wanted to see the reunion band play the new songs but that record's not as good as The Woods. Um, if I'm going to pick a song to play off of this album, it's going to be the song Entertain, when Cary scene kind of takes aim at the uh, sort of fake post-punk gang of four crappy bands that were really populating uh, music back in 2005, 2004. And this song, just kicks so much ass, and I'm happy to play it for you. So here is Entertain by Slater Kinney off of the woods.
0: Jumping into our last uh, record here, from, uh, one of our favorite records from female artists, I'm going to talk about a record from the artist Grouper, her uh, 2013 LP, "The Man Who Died in His Boat." So this is a nine-album, excuse me, this is a ninth album from the ambient singer-songwriter Liz Harris, and many of these songs were outtakes from her 2008 record "Dragging a Dead Deer Up a Hill." which is something I didn't learn until I was researching this uh, for this for this episode. It really was never anything that crossed my mind. This sounds like a very complete album. These songs are fully fleshed out. Uh, Really, really beautiful kind of bedroom uh, rock songs here. Um, Very kind of like spacious airiness that goes throughout the album. The lyrics are excellent. Um, and Liz Harris is just a phenomenal, phenomenal songwriter from a structural standpoint. Um, this album came out in early March, late February 2013 and was one of the first albums that I really latched on to upon my return to Korea. Um, to me, it just sounds like winter's thawing. It's like one of those late March days where you want to force yourself to believe it's spring, but the chill in the air is still undeniable. Um, there's like a coldness to this album, but there's also just like a warmth that you want to kind of take it outside with you on a long walk. Uh, this was the num- uh, my number 15 album of 2013, and it's still one of my favorites in an overall excellent year for music and something I listen to on a regular basis, especially winter, especially this time of year. Um, the album's inspiration came from a memory that uh, Harris had of a boat that was capsized and washed ashore on a beach near her house. She and her dad found it uh, when they were walking down to the beach one morning and she remembered peering into the windows and seeing maps and coffee mugs and clothes all strewn throughout the cabin. Um, Really eerie kind of setting for the album but like the whole album is filled with these kind of haunting little memories that she has and uh, it's just really really engrossing. Um, She instantly felt uh, in this moment that she was disturbing the man's experience. and so, so the album as well touches on a lot of themes of um, kind of guilt and, you know, um, isolation and, uh, you know, really kind of confusion over whether or not you should move in the direction that you're moving. Um, following this album, Liz Harris put out a really excellent album in November 2014 called Ruins. That was one of my favorite records of that year, as well it was one of my honorable mentions. Um, but yeah, excellent, excellent stuff from her. We're going to go ahead and we're going to play the song uh, Cloud in Places off of The Man Who Died in His Boat
3: uh, by The Greenberg.
0: focusing on underrated gems and we're doing this kind of um, you know the the great curve is kind of the underrated uh, a gem off of Remain main light and you know in addition we're talking about some pretty underrated artists here um, some artists that kind of get overlooked in the mainstream get overlooked even in certain indie rock uh, quarters um, and so we wanted to talk about a few artists here that we really think that are more deserving of your guys' time and your your listening. Um, So the first artist that we're going to talk about is called Waxahachie. And this is the uh, gnome de rock of um, Kate Crutchfeld, who is an excellent singer-songwriter. The album that we're going to feature here and the song we're going to feature off of it is uh, the album's Ivy Trip. This was her 2015 follow-up to her excellent 2013 album Cerulean Salt. And the song that we're going to play is called La Luce. Um, this album is uh, definitely poppier than Cerulean Salt was, uh, but it received a bit less press and hype and a bit of a dip in reviews. So it kind of has looked at as like the underrated little gem in her career thus far. I think it holds up a little bit better in the long term, and it really showcases uh, Crutchfield's writing and sensibilities in a really clear and a really fun way. Um, this record is just filled with kind of shimmering guitars, and her voice really just sounds like a total bell. Um, this is just the kind of record that you put on, and it's really hard not to be happy, even if some of these songs really deep deal with um, a lot of ambiguity and deal with a lot of sadness throughout. Um, lyrically, uh, the song focus ha- focuses heavily on... The kind of aimlessness and directionless that defines so many people nowadays in their late 20s, early 30s, and even stretching into their 40s. Um, you can tell in her writing that there's just a sense that you know, there's no defined crossing point from childhood into adulthood. So it becomes this very confusing process for so many people, and she really wrote about kind of what those themes are uh, at this point in time. Um, musically, this is the kind of record that would perfectly accompany a road trip an all-day bar hop even. It's euphoric and sad all at once. It's the kind of music that lets you in and showcases the brilliance of life, only to make you sad for the simple fact that it's a fleeting moment and one that you'll ultimately miss it in your future. Um, like her sister, Allison, who's an excellent songwriter in her own right, who put out one of my favorite records from 2017, um, Kate Crutchfield is really one of the best songwriters of our time. Her ability to straddle the line between overt pop songs and experimental sonic backdrops makes her music some of the most engaging in modern indie rock, and it's really inexcusable that she doesn't get a bigger stage at music festivals or really doesn't get more attention. Um, her albums do tend to get a fairly positive review on you know, sites like Pitchf- Pitchfork, but she definitely still gets overlooked in the general scheme of things. And, um, certainly feel like that should stop. You guys our listeners would definitely really enjoy that enjoy what she does. So we're gonna listen to La Luce off of Ivy Trip from Wax Waxahachu.
3: <laughs>
1: So I'm going to talk about the song called Neskowin N-E-S-K-O-W-I-N from Corin Tucker So uh, recently on this podcast we discussed The Woods by Slater Kinney And uh, Corin Tucker, she is the singer and one of the guitarists of that band So there's anything that the recent discussion of the album taught you I am a big Slater Kinney fan Liked him quite a bit but lots of people do, which is why it's bizarre to me that the two solo albums recorded by Corin Tucker have more or less been lost to history. So Slater-Kinney, uh, they're a band now, but while they were on a hiatus, the drummer Janet Weiss occupied herself by playing drums with uh, Stephen Malcolmus's band and just kind of being awesome. And then Carrie Brownson, of course, she opted for world domination with the show Portlandia or Fred Armisen, and also re-teamed with Janet Weiss and uh, Mary Timoney from the band Helium for uh, one very good album under uh, the name Wild Flag. And Corin Tucker raised two kids with her husband Lance Bangs and made two solo albums. So her first solo album from 2010, 1,000 years, kind of eh, a little sleepy, Far from bad, but um, I can understand why it doesn't get that much ink nowadays. But the second one, um, Kill My Blues, which came out in 2012, that album kicked up some fucking dust. I mean, it wasn't Slater Kinney, but it was a fiercely groovy, very fiery rock and roll album that deserved far more acclaim than it got. I think I kind of blame um, Jessica Hopper, the uh, writer who was writing for Pitchfork at the time, gave it a very brief, very uh, kind of lukewarm 6.5. It deserved far better than that. I'm sorry, that was a mistake. And the first single off that record was called Neskowin, and uh, it's a beast. It helps that the drummer in the Corin Tucker band was Sarah Lund, Uh, from the band Unwound, who are a uh, Beyond the Pond favorite, who I think we discussed at length in the episode where we talk about the David Bowie from uh, Jones Beach, 629-1995. Go back and listen to that one. Good episode, good jam. And uh, Sarah Lund really imbues this song with a thundering pogo beat. Really, the whole album proceeds in this way. I mean, there's a song... Called Constance, where I mean, Corn Tucker kind of rips off the uh, the riff and smells like Teen Spirit. It's still great. I mean, the whole thing is incredibly high quality rock and roll album. I would recommend very highly. And what's interesting is that Slater Kinney can sell out like 2,500 seat venues on a regular basis. But I saw the Corn Tucker band on a Thursday night at uh, the Mercury Lounge here in New York in the Lower East Side, which holds about 300. And I think maybe 150 people were there. Like, it was an early show. So it was 8 o'clock, and this is, like, the front woman from Slater-Kinney, one of the greatest punk rock rock bands of the past 25 years. And nobody was there. I mean, what was wrong with people in New York City that they didn't want to see the lungs in the engine room of Slater-Fucking-Kinney? I don't know. I had a fantastic time. I jumped very high in the air, and the second Corn Tucker Band album, *Kill My Blues*, is excellent. You should look for it, stream it on Spotify, do whatever you can to get it in your okay. possession. So now we're gonna play Nesco.
2: Mitchfork, but I hadn't heard of her till recently. And this is Vagabond. but uh, Which is the work of Leticia Tamco. Um, and the song I want to feature is the song Cold Apartment. So Tamco is an immigrant from Cameroon. She came here with her family when she was 13. So her mom could go to law school. And ended up living in New York um, and she started playing some music but had never even seen live music until she was 21 and she's like 25 years old now which to me is just inspiring like I feel like you hit a certain age and you're just like it's too late for me I can't do this or something like that and just to think you just picked this up 4 years ago and now you're making this music that's really inspiring to me. So this, this song is from her debut album Infinite Worlds. Um she's uh, one of these self-taught do it yourself indie musicians um kind of came up through Bandcamp, got recognized through Bandcamp. Um taught herself multiple instruments. And, um, basically writes these really heartfelt songs that kind of touch on loneliness or feeling small and whatnot, um, Here's a quote from a Pitchfork review of the album Infinite Worlds. Throughout Infinite Worlds, Tamco interrogates what it means to occupy space with others who don't necessarily see eye to eye, be it parents, peers, or strangers. Sometimes imagining that ideal world leads to bouts of doubt or even magical realism. But Tamco keeps coming back to the same point. The community you want to live in is the one you have to make guided by a more mature sound infinite worlds is the rock music we need nowadays when it seems like home, wherever it might be is getting further away. Um, and I just feel like that's a great quote. Um, she's made herself a home very far from her originally home in this New York indie scene. Um, I think she's probably the only immigrant from Cameroon in the scene, and she's doing it with this confidence um, where she's just bringing this really original music. Uh, the song, I picked this song, Cold Apartment. I love the introduction, the, the kind of instrumental introduction to the song. It kind of reminded me of Portishead's The Rip, which is one of my like favorite songs of all time. Um, three, I- right? Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, but it said three.
2: Yeah. Fucking amazing and I, record. There was a not to, not to get too far away. But there was a like guest DJ on NPR with Brian Eno and he just like went off on that song too. But I I just love that song. But but her intros kind of like almost resonate with me in the same way that was and I love this song Cold Apartment it makes me you know she's clearly somebody who's moved a lot in her life I've moved a lot in my life and it like touches on this like loneliness but connection to these places Um, and I think she's an inspiring artist to share just for somebody who's been playing music for, for four years and is just doing it and putting it out there and it's working really well um there's the other musician Tash Sultana that kind of reminds me of her in terms of just going for it in this kind of do-it-yourself scene and um here is the song Cold um
1: Thank you very much. If you've uh, listened up to this point, just a reminder that um, all the songs we discuss in this episode will be available in the beyond the pond podcast songs playlist on Spotify to the extent that they are available. I know some of them won't be, we will uh, try to the best that we can.
0: Absolutely. And uh, just a quick reminder of where you guys can find us on social media. Um, so we have a Twitter page and everyone is uh, um, you guys are able to access this there. We're pretty active uh, at underscore beyond the pond. Um, in addition to that, uh, we have for a while been on a medium page, uh, but we are truly have transitioned as of this podcast to um, our Simplecast website, which we'll post on Twitter uh, so that you guys can find us. But this is where you can find all of our episodes all of our little mini write-ups. Uh, it's Beyond the Pond SimpleCast FM, and uh, you can find us on Instagram as well on at Beyond the Pond Podcast. Um, really quick, also like Dave mentioned, you can find us on Spotify Beyond the Pond Podcast songs. Um, we are a part of the Osiris Podcast Network. You can learn about uh, Beyond the Pond as well as our sister podcast our growing network at osirispod.com. And just one final note, uh, we would love it if every one of you who listens to this jumps onto iTunes, gives us a little bit of a rating, gives us a little bit of a review. It uh, really helps us out in terms of spreading the word. It helps us out in terms of appealing to Tim Cook over at Apple, who we are hoping to uh, get an interview with here in the next year or so. So, anything yeah, like
1: he's going to be on the podcast. Yeah,
0: <laughs> anything that you guys That's can awesome. do <laughs> to uh, to uh, just kind of help us out in that sense. Just take like two minutes, uh, give us a couple uh, star review, whatever you guys uh, find nice. We we hope that we're five star for you guys, but. Um, you know write up a few little words just your thoughts about the podcast it would be super super awesome
1: in terms of publishing structure at this point you know that we basically publish every other tuesday because tuesday is the lamest day of the week it's got no feel we should try to give you something to look forward to also must say that if you enjoyed All the artists in this podcast, and you see it, they're out on tour. Go see them live. Seriously, get out, see some live music. It's uh, really harder than ever these days to make it in the music industry. And a lot of your favorite artists, they make their money, and they make their bones playing live and selling merchandise. So go see a show. Go buy a T-shirt at the merch table. We would uh, really appreciate it, and so would they. And uh on that note, I know uh we would very much like to thank our guest, Kathleen Hinkle, for uh, absolutely. a absolutely fantastic episode Thanks
2: for having me. This was a ton of fun, yeah
1: I know this was
0: this was definitely awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and for helping us to craft out this episode and really get some great ideas here. i'm really excited about this
1: yeah, you know, we uh had a fantastic time, and uh I certainly learned a lot about some artists which I was unfamiliar, Kathleen, so thank you very much. And Thanks for right that. On that note, please come back in two Tuesdays. We will join hands. We'll sing Kumbaya. Hopefully, at this point, we will no longer be colluding with Russia, but who the hell knows in our country. <laughs> <laughs> and then we will go beyond the pond.